Thessalonians 5 and verse number 19, the Bible says, Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us this evening. I know I often pray the same thing. It's because I always long for the same thing. I'm just a man and there's nothing I can say that would be helpful to your people. It has to be the power of your word and the power of your spirit. I pray that you'd please speak to your people this evening. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move in the hearts of your people. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and my speech. Help me to say only what you would have me to say. Please fill me and use me, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. I believe these next three verses, verses 19, 20, and 21, could be related just like verses 16, 17, and 18. Again, they can be individually used as almost proverbs, if you will. But also, I believe that they have connection in their reference and meaning. The Bible begins with quench not the Spirit. If we remember that this is an end times passage... It begins in verse 1 with, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And we reference that fact that when the Bible says times and seasons, it is a reference to the last days. We know this to be an end times passage. The Bible says in verse number 23, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see sandwiched in these two passages, or in between these two passages, these truths that are preached to the Christian. In these last days, the Bible tells us what will be the common theme for Christians. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Now we just read all those verses and often we like to relate those to the lost world. The Bible says this will be a religious crowd. They have the form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. Most likely because they're unsaved. But they act like they are. The Bible says from such, turn away. And the Bible goes on to describe some of the types of men that these will be. Matter of fact, I'm reading it to you, but why don't you read it with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 6. Now, do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? So, is it applicable in all matters of faith and practice? No matter the day and age. 
So what the Bible is about to say, let it be said by the Word of God, don't get angry with the preacher, because it is simply the Bible that is saying it. For of this sort, verse number 6, are they which creep into houses and lead captive what? Silly women laden with sins led away with divers lusts. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word silly women means simple women, simple-minded. In the last days, it will be one of the earmarks that preachers that are false prophets will creep into houses and lead women astray. And there is a very strong movement right now where churches are pushing female leadership and trying to get women to be the leaders of the ministries that God said were ordained for men. The Bible says that there will be silly women that are laden with sins that are led captive, brought captive to these false religions. Now, what are some of the signs of this? Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This happens to be this entire generation. Constantly searching for knowledge, constantly searching for more and more light and more and more understanding, but never hearing the truth of the Word of God. They'll listen to anything and everything that there is out there unless it comes from the spiritual realm of the Word of God. Then they discredit it, they, they get angry against it, and it's because they're doing exactly what the Holy Spirit said not to do, which is to quench not the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit speaks to their hearts, they get angry towards the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and they instead quench the Spirit of God towards salvation, and instead lead themselves into damnation. We won't go into the rest of the passage here necessarily, but the Bible gives us even more instruction of these things. These men that will do this are men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith, and so on and so forth. These are in the last days. Now when we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we see as God described to us that men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, all of these different things, the Bible gives us an entire list of sins in these last days that will become prevalent. And God says to quench not the spirit. To quench means to extinguish, to suppress to stifle. Some young people are struggling with that today. While the world is pushing on you lasciviousness and sodomy and wicked thinking, and the, the, the Bible speaks against it, they make a mock of sin and try to act like you're a weirdo if you live righteous and right, and in order to fit in, they want you to become less godly and more like the world and more like the devil and to fill more of your flesh with their kind of wickedness. And so what they do is they quench the Spirit, and because they're miserable in their spirit, they want to encourage you to quench the Spirit with them because it makes them feel better to drag others into sin than it does to see you live for God and fall under conviction. Because when you live for God, it puts them under conviction for their sin. Just by your testimony, 
It bothers them. They want you to cuss like, like they cuss. They want you to watch the movies that they watch. They want you to take the junk that they take. They want you to tell the jokes that they tell. They want you to look at the social media stuff that they look at. They want you to share it with everybody. And they tell you that you're a weirdo if you don't. Because they live a lifestyle of lasciviousness quenching the Spirit of God. And it makes them feel better if they can get you to do the same. In these last days, there could be no more prevalent verse to, pre to preach than quench not the Spirit. In my, Matthew chapter number 3, the Bible says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Isaiah chapter number 4, and verse number 4, the Bible says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. We see that often the Holy Spirit is also referred to in the, in the realm of fire and in reference of fire and burning. In Acts chapter number 2, we understand that when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in that place, that they, there appeared unto them as it was cloven tongues of fire. Right? The Holy Spirit is often related to that of fire. And the Bible says that we should not quench the Spirit. Now, in order for us to understand in greater depth what it means not to quench the Spirit, we have to understand the different ways that the Spirit moves and therefore the different ways that He can be quenched. Is everybody okay? Stay with me if you would please. There are two different people that we want to address this evening. Let's talk about quenching the Spirit personally in our own lives and quenching the Spirit in others' lives. First, we're going to talk about personally quenching the Spirit. Now, I believe the Spirit of God moves in three ways. There may be more than this in the Bible, but uh, to simplify, uh, I've put it uh, in three different categories. You've heard me pray this occasionally and maybe didn't always know exactly what I was praying for, but number one, I believe that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Now, what does the word conviction mean? It means sorrow or convincing of sin. When God speaks about our sin, we have a decision to make. To either allow the fire that is trying to purge our lives of its impurities to purify us spiritually and let it burn within us until it brings us to our knees in conviction of our sin and we repent of it and give it to God or we can pour water on that fire or throw dirt on that fire and quench it. When we quench the Holy Spirit of God, when He convicts us of our sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit and we move closer to being a calloused Christian. When we quench, we find bondage instead of mercy, liberty, and freedom. Anybody that has ever spent any time rebelling against the Lord knows that, remember, the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Are you with me? Now, 
that, that reference there, that, that, that passage is not exactly in context of what I'm saying here this evening. But I will say that there is really no question in my mind that when the Spirit of God begins to have free course in the life of a Christian, they get released from the bondage of their sin and we find liberty in Him. And can I just say that obedience to God, obedience to the Holy Spirit, doing what is right is where real joy and liberty is. The world will try to sell you a bill of goods and tell you that you'll find liberty in letting yourself go free. But what you find is that whoever you serve, you, get, you become in bondage to. And if you serve sin, you'll come under bondage of sin. So for a little while, sin has its pleasures for a season. Sin is fun for a while. But there's always a consequence. It may be the loss of the Spirit of God. It may, and I don't mean Him leaving your life, but him, you, you not being able to hear Him speak anymore because you've become so calloused and cold. And to be honest with you, there can be no more dangerous place in the Christian life than, than to be so calloused and cold that even though the Lord is speaking, you can't hear Him anymore. You know, I used to say that I believe there comes a time when God doesn't speak. But the more I've studied and read the Bible, then I don't take my word for it. I, I, but I happen to believe that actually what happens is the Holy Spirit is always drawing. He is always speaking. He is always working. We just get too hard to hear Him. And how does that happen? It comes by quenching and grieving the Spirit of God. Hey, can I say something, Christian, this evening? Please listen to me. Every church service should be a time when we personally sit down and open our hearts and minds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the moment He speaks, God's people ought to move. Don't say, well, you know, I'll work on that. Instead, repent of it and get right with God about it. Because the longer you say you'll work on it, the longer you say, well, I'll, I'll try that another day, the more cold and calloused you become. We can quench the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our own personal lives. I beg you, please, quench not the Spirit when He moves you to get right with Him. Secondly, I believe that not only does the Holy Spirit move in matters of conviction, I believe that He moves in compelling. He convicts and He compels. To compel means that God urges us to do things that we know we ought to do or to do things that are right to do. This is not necessarily the same thing as convicting us against our sin. At one point I preached about halfway Christianity, that some people are doing everything in their power just to try to stay out of sin and avoid sin, but they're not focusing their lives on doing anything right for the Lord, so they're constantly staring at sin, trying to avoid sin, but never turning from it to something else, some kind of other action or lifestyle that will help you to fall away from that stuff and walk away from that stuff and start to live for God. And so I encourage you not only to let the Holy Spirit convict you of sin, but also to compel you to do the things that you ought to be doing in your Christian life. That's when we begin to 
I believe, live the other 50% of the Christian life. It's not only about avoiding sin, it's also about living for God and doing that which is right. And God compels us. He urges us. He moves in our hearts. And some have quenched the moving of the Holy Spirit as He urged us to take further steps in our Christian life. You know, it never ceases. Now, please listen to me this evening. It never ceases to amaze me how often, and I have said it recently, as soon as somebody got to the point where they joined the church, I said, from this pulpit, it amazes me that when people join the church, they often quit going to church. It's been a pattern all the years I've pastored. And one of the things that I believe is happening, now I don't have all the answers on this, but one of the things I believe is happening is one, when we achieve another, if you want to call it an achievement, when we take another step, spiritually speaking, in our lives, we experience even greater attacks of the devil. The moment you try to take another step for the Lord, Satan isn't going to stand idly by and just let that happen. He's our enemy. He despises people living for God. He cannot take you to hell, so he's going to do everything in his power to stop you from living for God. So it doesn't matter whether it's joining the church or surrendering to preach or just deciding you're going to start going soul winning or giving the tithe or whatever it is that the Holy Spirit compels you to do that you haven't been doing. The moment you start trying to do it, there will be barriers and difficulties. He's going to try everything in his power to stop you from moving forward to follow the steps that you should be taking. I'm not just talking about avoiding sin. I'm talking about doing right. The things that God compels us to do. And the Bible says we should not quench the Spirit of God. And as a Christian, it is vital, absolutely necessary for us when the Holy Spirit speaks to continue to let Him move in areas of compelling in our lives. When the Holy Spirit tells you to surrender to preach or to surrender to missions, don't put Him off. Surrender to it. Home is where the will of God is. And if you're afraid to surrender to something that God is calling you to do because you don't know where it will take you, can I tell you something this evening that is absolutely true? If you truly have a desire to live for God, you will be happier wherever He leads you than you ever would quenching the compelling of His Spirit. You'll find yourself miserable in your Christian life because you quenched the compelling movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. I do not encourage people to surrender to the ministry unless they've been called to do it. It must be a calling. I am convinced of that. Because you need the graces and blessings that God puts upon the life of a person that He gifts with that calling. You go out and try to fulfill the ministry of a pastor when you haven't been called to pastor and you won't have the graces that a pastor needs in order to pastor. You go out and try to be an evangelist when God hasn't called you to be an evangelist? And you won't have the gifts that are required and given by the grace of God for an evangelist. 
You surrender to the mission field when God hasn't called you to the mission field. Well, I thought God called all of us to preach the gospel. He did call all of us to preach the gospel, but that doesn't mean that He called every single person in this room to go to Africa. But if and when God calls, if you quench the Holy Spirit when He compels and calls you to do a work for Him, you will never be happy doing anything else. I heard my dad say many times before I surrendered to preach, Son, if God is calling you, because I thought God might be calling me, but he took it very seriously, and he said, You don't surrender to that until you know it's God's calling you, that it is God calling you. And I heard him say over and over again, Here's one of the marks of the calling of God. No matter how hard you try to do something else, you'll never be happy doing anything else. God calls, surrender. Quench not the Spirit. Listen, Christian, if God begins to compel you to join the choir, then do everything in your power to join the choir, if you can sing. If you can't sing, that's all right. We can find someplace else for you to plug in. And you can sing until your heart's content in the congregationals. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks, to us about witnessing to a lost soul. And we say, well, I got other things to do. I... Well, how can I know when God is speaking to me to witness to a lost soul? All right, very simple. I honestly have wrestled with that same question and I've come to a very simple conclusion. I know that which is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Right? Me, no good. Holy Spirit is the one that speaks to me about spiritual matters because I don't speak to me about those things. My flesh is wicked. It doesn't want to witness to people. So, you're walking through the store and all of a sudden you get this idea. I wonder if I should give them a track. wonder where that came from. It wasn't your flesh. So where could that have come from? Had to be the Spirit of God. Well, I don't know if God's leading me to do that or not. Did you think about it? Was it a spiritual thing? Then it probably was the Lord. It's not rocket science, although I used to try to turn it into rocket science. Was that the Lord? I don't know if it was the Lord. That's just, that's just our flesh fighting us. Because, because the devil and our flesh cannot stand us doing the work of the Lord. So, listen, please, I beg you, when the Holy Spirit urges us to do the good things that we should be doing, do not quench the Spirit. Now, at the same time, can I just say this as your pastor? The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He is a person. And sometimes people get feelings that they ought to do something, and it's not the Holy Spirit. And it makes it really difficult for me as a pastor when somebody walks up to me and says, well, God led me to do this, and so I just wanted to let you know that. And I'm going, that's funny because he didn't lead me to let you do that. I'm not saying I'm the one that has all the answers. I'm just saying when somebody feels like, you know, God spoke to me and told me I'm supposed to do this in the church. Now, look. I don't have all the answers, but I really do pray and seek God's face and wisdom for our ministry. And ever so often when somebody comes and tells me what God's will is for our church, I'm thinking, I'm not sure that's how that works. But I really don't want to hurt your feelings right now, so I don't know how to tell you that. 
Listen, every feeling we have is not always the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then how can you tell the difference? Prayer and patience. See, here's how the Holy Spirit works. If you just had a feeling about something, but you're not sure if it's the Lord's will, then I would encourage you to pray about it. And here's how I would encourage you to pray. Lord, if it's your will for me to do this, would you please strengthen the desire to do it? If it's not your will, would you please remove that desire from me? Over time, he'll do exactly that. Just be careful about cornering people. Well, it was God's will for me to come, you know, pick you up and take you soul winning today. Well, what, you know, was it just a feeling you had or was it really the Lord's will? Because I am swamped right now. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He is a person. And so in order to obey the Holy Spirit of God, He will lead us into things that He has spoken in His Word, like there is no question in my mind that the Lord wants us to be a witness to all people. So when you have a thought of being a witness to somebody, do it. But if it's not in this book... Just be a little more cautious about it. Well, God really led me to, 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 to join another church, preacher, and I tell you, I'm going to go across town over here because God's really leading me to work over there in that other ministry, and what you're really doing is going over there in that other ministry to simply feed your flesh a little bit, and you're following your feelings instead of the Holy Spirit of God, and I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. Had a man leave our ministry that was leading the choir and said, God is leading me to such and such ministry. And isn't it funny that when they got there, they got more worldly, further away from God, and now they aren't even hardly in church anymore. I'm pretty sure the Lord didn't lead us to become less godly. So if you're being compelled to go to a church that is wrong on doctrine, Wrong on standards, wrong on holiness, but boy, God is leading me there to go help those people. It's not usually the way it works. But if it, if it is clearly spoken in this word that these are things Christians ought to do, this is the will of God for Christians, and those thoughts come to mind, you can say with absolute confidence, that's the Holy Spirit of God and I ought to obey Him. If it's things that are extra-biblical, I believe God leads in those ways as well. Uh, listen, I'm not trying to be charismatic, but also I'm also not trying to be anti the movement of the Holy Spirit and things that are not mentioned in Scripture. I, I still remember the moment that I was headed across a road that I had crossed many times, and the light turned green, and something inside of my heart and mind said, don't move. I was the only person at that intersection. There wasn't anybody coming either way. There wasn't anybody sitting behind me. There wasn't anybody in front of me coming across the intersection. Something as real as you're sitting there said, don't move. I kept my foot on the brake and watched for a little bit. And just a couple seconds later, a semi came speeding up to the light going across the other way on the intersection, didn't see it for whatever reason, slammed on his brakes, locked him up, and slid through the intersection at probably 55, 65 miles an hour. I went, thank you, Lord, for saving my life. I'm not trying to complicate the movement of the Holy Spirit, but what I'm saying is you have to be careful about listening to your feelings and calling them the Spirit of God. Ask for God to give you wisdom about things before you do uh, make life-changing decisions that you are basing on feelings. 
compelling. Quench not the Spirit when He's convicting. Quench not the Spirit when He's compelling. I want to say thirdly, personally in our lives, we can quench the Spirit when He's comforting. In John chapter 14, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. Is everybody with me? God works to comfort His people by His Spirit and through His Word. And unfortunately, there are some people who can quench the movement of the Holy Spirit of God in this area of comforting. Now stay with me. Some people would rather live miserable instead of hearing the whispers of God when He urges us to move past our sorrow and pain. Some people would rather live in bitterness towards God and towards others instead of letting the Holy Spirit of God soothe our hearts about something that happened to us in the past, and rather they want to hang on to the pain of whatever it was that happened in the past and continue to stay bitter. And the reality is that the Holy Spirit of God has tried over and over and over again through sermons and through Bible reading and through prayer times to comfort your heart, and you won't let Him. You'd rather stay miserable. You'd rather live in sorrow and pain and hatred towards whoever it is. Man, I have sat in services as a preacher knowing the conversation that I had with somebody earlier in the week in the office or on the phone or through text and then go to a meeting somewhere and sit there or have a guest preacher come in and sit there and listen to him preach and say everything that I said in the office and I know he's speaking to the person that I was just speaking to and they still walk out angry and bitter and never get over it. Some people will not allow the Holy Spirit to comfort them. Do you know something? God doesn't want Christians to live miserable. That is not our way of life. He wants us to live in victory. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It is not a mark of spirituality when we sit there in misery. Well, I don't think God wants me to enjoy anything in life. I'm just supposed to be miserable in order to be godly. That's not how it works. I can't have anything if I want to be right with God. I think it was Stonewall Jackson. I, th- I could be wrong. Oh, who was it? I think it was Stonewall Jackson who was part of the, I think it was the Puritans, I don't know, Quaker, Puritan, I don't know, but it was influenced by those thoughts. And they essentially believed that if there was anything in this life, of this world, that you enjoyed, you should get rid of it because you shouldn't have any attachments to this world. So if you began to like chocolate, you shouldn't have chocolate. If you began to like coffee, you shouldn't have coffee because that's a thing of this world and we're not supposed to love the things of this world. Y'all, I tell you what, I, I cannot, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Uh Uh-uh. I love ribs and dark chocolate way too much. I I can't do it. If I remember correctly, anyway, he believed so strongly in that that he, he may not have said he was a miserable person, but every single time he would have an attachment of any kind, start to like something, he'd get rid of it. And y'all... I mean, some Christians live that way. (sighs) Christian life is so hard, I can't do anything. That's not what God intended. You know, there is great liberty within the borders and boundaries of Scripture. To live a holy life is a pleasant life. 
Go read the book of Ecclesiastes and tell me the conclusion that a man who lived in sin his entire life drew. Maybe not his entire life, but a good portion of it. Best I can tell, the book of Ecclesiastes is largely a book of counsel from a life of regret. We may go through the book of Ecclesiastes one of these days. I think there's some really good nuggets in there, but anyway. We think living in the pleasures of our sin is pleasurable when in reality you get to the end of it and you find out that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's not fun. But to live in the grace and mercy and love of God within the borders and boundaries of His will is a wonderful thing and God doesn't want His people to be miserable. If you want to have some coffee, have some coffee. You want a little chocolate, have a little chocolate. Just don't be a glutton. You want to have a little banana pudding, it's okay to have a little banana pudding. You want to have a, can I get a witness? You want to have a little pecan pie? Brother Jerry has the best pecan tree. Somebody told us that. said, when you get, when you get uh, pecans from around here, you're going to see the difference between all the other pecans and Brother Jerry's pecans. And, eh, okay, we'll see. And then he brought us a bunch of pecans. I don't know what he does over there. Amazing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good pecan pie every now and then. There's nothing wrong with, who was it that was telling me the other day, they like uh, uh, ice cream and cornflakes. Brother, brother, was it you? Rather, Brother Jerry, rather have ice cream and cornflakes than anything else. I don't necessarily share that with him, but I'm glad he enjoys it. The Christian life isn't supposed to be miserable. But man, some people are living miserable. Hey, listen to this preacher, please. The Holy Spirit is trying to comfort some of you and you won't even let Him. <laughs> Prove it, preacher. All right. Turn your Bible to the book of Jonah. Where is that? It's not too far before the New Testament, but I just flipped past it. So, If you're in the Z's, you're too far. It's right before Micah. Did that help? I felt like I was helping. Jonah quenched the Spirit of God with this area of compelling, right? God compelled Jonah to go to Nineveh, yes? He urged him, he spoke to him. And, and Jonah quenched the Spirit. And of course we find out that that wasn't so great. Well, then, he goes and preaches to Nineveh. He didn't like Nineveh. But they get right with God. And Jonah starts whining about it and feeling miserable about it. Well, now the Holy Spirit comes along, or God comes along, and he tries to comfort. He's already quenched the compelling, but got right about that. And now Jonah's a little bit down. Because these people in Nineveh got right with God. They actually heard what I said. <laughs> in Jonah chapter number 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. You know what he just said? I knew you were going to let these people off the hook. <laughs> what a miserable spirit. Verse number three. 
Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you know what? There are some Christians that are like that. Can I, I wasn't planning on preaching this. This isn't in the notes. But there are some people that would rather a person not get right with God because they hate Him. Won't give them any room to get right with God. Well, what are they doing here? Well, what business do they have serving the Lord? Well, what do they think they are? People make mistakes and God can clean all of us up. Aren't you glad? It's okay if somebody sinned once and God still uses them. That's His prerogative. He loves them just like He loves you. And if He wants to use them again, if they're not disqualified from that area of ministry or whatever it may be, God can forgive them and use them again. Don't be bitter about it. I don't have a clue why I'm saying that. Verse number 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than those people get right with God. This is making me miserable to see God working in them. Some people are that bitter about some people. You know, we ought to be merciful and gracious. If God forgives, we ought to forgive. You know, it's amazing. My, my dad has always said, man, I keep referring to him tonight, I guess. I tried to call him today and he didn't answer. I must be thinking about him. He did. I made that sound terrible. It was supposed to be a joke and you all sat there very serious. Um, why do I, you know, you ever, I try, I try to be funny and you, you ever try that? You're like, some, it sounds funny in your head and then when it comes out, you're like, that wasn't funny at all. Anyway, he did call back. We just didn't make connections. It's been a busy day. What was I saying? He wanted that he would he would rather die than to see them get right. I can't remember what my dad used to say. Maybe it'll come in verse number four. Then said the Lord, "Doest thou well to be angry?" So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. Huh? He's trying to comfort him. Even though Jonah's being a rebellious Christian who doesn't want to see people get right with God, Isn't it amazing that God still loves us even when we're in sin? Aren't you glad He does? And He comes along to comfort Jonah even though Jonah's got a horrible spirit. He says, let me help you, buddy. I want to help you with this grief that you're in, even though it was a sinful grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Now, I think there was an error in his judgment there. He probably should have noticed that a gourd grew over his head really fast and he should have been exceeding glad of the Lord. But instead, he was exceeding glad of the gourd. Sounds like a message in there somewhere. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose that next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. That's what happens, I think, when you start focusing on the thing instead of the God that gave you the thing. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said it is better for me to die than to live. He's back to that again. So God tried to comfort him. He didn't receive the comfort so now God's just judging him. 
Huh? Does it, does that, is that computing? Isn't that something? And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? The end. I mean, that is one of the saddest endings ever. It's the last thing God says. And I wonder if it's the last thing he said to Jonah, ever. I don't know. Because Jonah's too bitter to hear. God is trying to comfort some people and they won't be comforted. You know, Elijah did this too. I don't have time to go into it. I wanted to, but we need to be done. If you turn to 1 Kings 19, you'll see that Elijah got a little bit bothered that he was the only one that was standing for what was right. Huh? And he went a little way and God fed him by the hand of an angel and took care of him and comforted him. You ought to go read it. And God eventually says to Elijah, what doest thou here? Well, I was, I was really sad because, you know, all these people are just living against you and it really made me angry. God, God said, come over here, buddy. I'll take care of you. He's trying to comfort him. Read through that passage. Elijah won't be comforted. He keeps mourning and moaning. Now, listen, Elijah's a better Christian than I ever will be. I'm not, I'm just saying, we, we all go through this sometimes, even the best of Christians. And if you're not careful, you quench the Spirit when He's comforting. Let the Lord speak to you in His Word and give you the answers that you need. Let the Lord speak to you in the preaching and give you the answers that you need. Let the Holy Spirit of God every now and then speak to you personally and comfort you. Don't hang on to your misery. Let it go. Don't quench the Spirit. Man, I've I, I got to be done. We only got in to quench not the Spirit personally, but man, you have to be careful not to do it for others. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us this evening in the ways that only your